Hello and welcome to Forefront 360, where we take you all around the intersection of the arts and the Christian faith. I'm Nate Mancini, I'm one of the founders of Forefront, and today we're featuring a recording of a live onstage interview. It happened earlier this month at our Night of Art with Josh and Zach Thiessen. If you haven't yet listened to the previous episode, the special event preview, I'd recommend you listen to that first to hear some background about Josh and Zach's work, and then dive into this one for a conversation about faith, conservation, artistic process, and dealing with success and failure. Here's me at the event introducing our moderator. I'm really excited to introduce uh, our moderator for tonight's discussion, and that is Jennifer Greenman. Uh, Jennifer is a watercolor painter based right here in Rochester, and she's known for her Impressionist-style landscape paintings. Inspired by a childhood outdoors and in the Adirondack Mountains, she loves loose brushstrokes and eloquent color schemes. And her latest collection is currently hanging at Finger Lakes Coffee Roasters in Pittsford Plaza. So I'd highly encourage you to check that out. Uh, having seen it at a recent Forefront Artist Circle, I can commend not only its artistic beauty, but also the way in which it points to the incredible artistry of our creator. So I can think of no one better to speak to our featured artist this evening. Please welcome to the stage, Jennifer Greenman, and welcome back, Josh and Zach Thiessen. First off, um, I just want to congratulate you both on the collection, on the music, on the gallery opening. Um, I think one of my favorite parts about tonight was getting to see your collaboration come together and not only see the art, but hear the art. Um, I, I think that's something we always strive for at Forefront is to collaborate our gifts, so that was beautiful to experience. And bringing it to Rochester and allowing us to celebrate with you, so thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you very much. This was unique for us, actually, to be on stage together. Yeah, we, we've done some speaking engagements together, but never actually gone back and forth like this with the music performance. Yeah, and, interspersed. Yeah, so that we were really, really excited nice, to do that. Cool. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to start the Q&A portion, and then we are going to have time for the audience to ask questions. So if while I am asking questions, you start to think about things that we're not getting to, you will have a chance to ask those. Um, and so make sure you hold on to them, and we will get to them. Um, but diving right in, um, so you both talked a little bit about your creative process, and I know from a previous Forefront uh, podcast ap episode, Josh, you talked about how many steps you actually take before you get to painting, and I was really surprised at how methodical you were um, just in that process and how many steps you take, and I was wondering if you both could just break down your creative process and how you approach it. Sure. This would be actually kind of interesting because we're very different in our creative process. So my mine is very slow and methodical. I'm not an artist. I wish I could be who is very spontaneous and wakes up and paints something that comes uh, into their imagination. But uh, for, for me, like I alluded to, I sketch the concepts from imagination and I'm also reading books and scripture, and the process uh, develops gradually, and I resketch the composition to more of a, a finished concept that then I gather reference materials and 
color studies. And so the painting process can then take hundreds of hours, sometimes over a thousand hours for the very large paintings. And I usually work on one painting at a time. So I'm very uh, focused on that. But uh, I, I do allow the time beforehand to do, to make a lot of changes that are necessary. Um, so that, yeah, that's kind of my process in a nutshell. I usually set out to like uh, find what the sound world is for a song. So um, a lot of the times it might not even be like what the tune is or the chords are, but um, finding these custom textures like, oh, I, I want to, you know, incorporate some harp and some bells or nature sounds uh, will inspire me. And then um, sometimes that could shelf for months and I find my creative process to be very sporadic and Josh can certainly attest to this that um, I'll maybe only have an hour one day and then I'm doing an all-nighter <laughs> the next day uh, because I, I have a very just all at once kind of ideas and uh, flow state that I that I get into so um, uh, initially, though, when I do just, like work with Josh, I'm I'm reading the stories, I'm studying the subject matter, and and uh, seeing how the the overall mood can kind of uh, shape uh, the the soundtrack from there. So yeah, yeah, and it, and it's a little bit different with music because the creative process you you constantly are more of the creativity throughout, uh, whereas for for me, I figure out the the creative decisions uh, at the beginning, and so it's, the f it's almost like paint by it, numbers. It's like for paint you. by number. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like um, you're getting it done. Whereas this, I was just talking to to Amanda, my friend, um, that basically it's an ever changing kind of chipping away. Is it like really there yet? Oh no, it's not. Oh well, this sounds better. Oh well, this sounds even yeah. better. So it's, it's like more dynamic. it's more dynamic yeah. and like ever changing. And then it's like, oh, okay, this is finally it. Like this is giving me goosebumps, or or just feels like really memorable. So yeah. great, thank you so yeah. much. Um, I know you've referenced a lot of different sources of inspiration in your work, from the Bible to literature to modern art to places in the world. Um, and I'm just wondering, when you are starting to like build out a collection, are you like building that concept in the beginning and mapping it out and figuring out, I'm going to do this many pieces? Or are you like doing it fluidly throughout and developing your concept with your pieces? That's a great question. So with this series, I did have the title right from the very beginning, Vanitas and Vertitas. And... I had a rough sketch of most of the like the titles for the paintings that would be coming over the three years span that I worked on the series. I knew that there were certain parameters, uh, like the Colette paintings, the Vanitas, would have a more monochromatic color palette, and the Sophia paintings would have bright and cheery colors, more spring and earth tones. And then that developed um, based on some of like the, the biblical passages. I would say, though, like some, some things did change o over time. I think uh, I I didn't want to uh, literally depict the book of Ecclesiastes and Proverbs. I didn't feel like I was responsible for illustrating the books or, uh, you know, perfectly representing them because my characters, they're not really set in a certain time period. So uh, I, I came to the realization that I can't address 
every aspect of wisdom because it's just so vast. And so I had to limit myself to uh, the 17 paintings. And then musically, like you actually had for about two years, a Sophia and a Colette playlist on Spotify that that you, yeah, you forgot about that. There were like 50 songs on each one. And I then took that and like synthesized it as well, kind of changed things from initially to go, okay, this is like more the direction. So yeah, it was interesting. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. That kind of gets to my next question a little bit, Zach. Um, you're obviously collaborating with your older brother. How much free reign did he really give you with that collaboration? <laughs> or yeah. just what did the collaboration look like? You said he had music he was listening to, and yeah. you kind of worked from that. Yeah, so previously for like Streams in the Wasteland, our first one, I approached everything very singular. So like this painting is like kind of like this sort of uh, soundtrack sound and uh, very geographical. With this, it was a bit trickier because these characters are very uh, distinct in terms of their meaning and their uh, philosophy and uh, vantage points on wisdom. So it was a bit more uh, vague. So uh, like taking that and synthesizing it um, was was tricky. So there was a lot more intention for these songs. And I I hope that that kind of came through in some of the themes tonight. And um, yeah, I, I really tried to be inspired and intentional with the storyline that Josh laid out. Well, yeah, and it, it was you that actually uh, proposed doing another soundtrack for this painting series. Uh, the last one, Streams of the Wasteland, I uh, proposed the idea and suggested it to you, and then you took it on. Um, but this this time, you actually wanted to uh, compose, which I, I you know I was honored uh, to to hear that, but. Yeah, I mean, uh, like any brothers, we had our moments, <laughs> our disagreements and arguments. Um, but, you, you know, you, you have to have those honest conversations at times, like, okay, this, you know, this song needs to fit more with this painting or whatever. Um, but generally speaking, yes, I, I gave Zach a lot of freedom in creating his compositions, especially because he's offering to do this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but interestingly enough, I did stick close to those playlists, though. Oh, like, yeah, Like, definitely. that's what, what was interesting, is that um, it was a bit more of a two-way street this time around, though, like yeah. with this project, yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's so cool. Um, so you have a very narrative style to your painting. Um, I would even argue to a point that you are a bit of a storyteller. Um, you develop these characters in Colette and Sophia, And I know in history, we've seen artists often incorporate subjects in their pieces. Um, I think of like Caspar David Friedrich, he has subjects in his pieces to engage the audience to look at those immense landscapes. Or even Rembrandt uses his subjects to kind of guide your eye around the painting with the the, um, gaze of his subjects. Um, I'm wondering if that was part of your intention in developing characters is to have your audience identify with them and take the journey with them. Exactly. So it's interesting you mentioned Caspar David Friedrich. He's one of my favorite artists and uh, his famous painting, Wander Above the Sea of Fog, I love. And he uses this compositional technique of showing the figure from behind, um, the German term, Rücken figure. <laughs> I think that's how you pronounce it. And 
uh, it's really like a placeholder to project the viewer into the scene. So uh, that served as some inspiration for Colette, where he's often seen from behind so that he's representative of uh, the viewer. And so you also don't see uh, much of his identity. He's kind of hidden and, and mysterious, which I thought also lent itself to people maybe identifying with um, pursuits that uh, he has in the paintings. I was um, just kind of going along with this. Um, I initially, when looking at your work and exploring it, I was like, oh, I'm definitely like in line with Sophia. Like she's so easy to engage with. She's this like beautiful goddess that like floats through your paintings with red hair. Um, and she just beautifully interacts with nature. And then the more I explored your collection, the more I was like, oh, actually Colette, I, I really understand him more and actually like, a lot of his struggles, I was like, oh, I can relate to that a lot. Like, specifically since the pandemic and all the unanswerable questions that have come up, I think we can all in some way relate to him. Um, I was wondering if any of that, um, your own journey in the last few years played into um, the development of those characters at all? Uh, definitely. So that's a question I've expected that people <laughs> would ask because in, in some ways I've distanced myself from um, these, these paintings by exploring these themes through two different characters. And uh, Soren Kierkegaard is an inspiration to me and one thing he does in his books is he actually didn't sign his name. So he was a uh, he had these pseudonyms, and he didn't want to commit himself to a certain, uh, you know, worldview that he was exploring. And so, in, in some ways, I've approached this series be in in that light, um, because uh, sometimes I I do very much uh, resonate with with Sophia and with with wisdom as this cosmic blueprint that if we align ourselves to we prosper and we have uh, benefits um, too, and God blesses us and the foolish are cursed. But uh, that's where like the Jewish wisdom books, I think are very profound because if you only have that perspective, uh, it can be very simplistic and it can turn into what sometimes people espouse today as like karma, like what goes around comes around. But that's not always the world that we live in because Colette uh, really, speaks to the fact that uh, even though we translate the word uh, for vanity or meaninglessness, it, hebel in Hebrew could be better translated as just an enigmatic or, or mysterious, that things just don't make sense um, why uh, the righteous suffer. And so I am a bit cynical in, in that way. And uh, even can experience kind of disenchantment, a bit of melancholy. So I see myself in, in both characters, um, but I think uh, they need not be contradictory. I think they can be complementary and provide balance to each other. Great, thank you. Um, so switching gears a little bit, I know conservation is something that's very dear to your heart. We saw that in the last collection, Streams in the Wasteland, you really pointed to the need to protect wildlife. We see it in your artwork, just the richness of nature. Um, and so as an audience, you're obviously picking up on that in your artwork. I'm wondering when you have an audience viewing your work, what is it you're hoping they're gleaning from it and taking away with regards to caring for the environment? 
Uh, de definitely. I mean, one thing that comes to mind is Proverbs 12.10, the righteous care for the needs of their animals, and just how, you know, so Sophia Lady Wisdom in Proverbs chapter 8, which was one of the most inspiring to me, is her del delight in the natural world. And I, I think that was, was something that I wanted to um, convey through these works. Also, we tend to just focus with environmental disasters on, on what should we do about them, environmental policies and lifestyles, and I think that is very important, um, but oftentimes we don't discuss what does it uh, mean to become a certain type of person uh, that would embody certain virtues like uh, humility or wonder or simplicity that would make us the type of people who would live out a, a lifestyle of um, conservation or from, from a biblical standpoint creation care and so I think from Streams in the Wasteland, which I alluded to was these grander themes to more the, the micro perspective of, of a virtue um, and a development of character. I hope that's what uh, people um, I, I take away from this series, that, that wisdom is not just cerebral head knowledge, but it could be uh, skill in living a good life. So you're like putting it into practice regularly. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, so one thing we talk a lot about at Forefront is how our faith impacts our craft. Um, and I know, Josh, in the previous Forefront podcast, you referenced that there really aren't any Christian art collectors out there. And that could obviously have a lot of implications for an artist's career. Um, and we could sit here and do a deep dive on why that is, but I'm wondering if either of you in your careers ever intentionally decided to um, call yourselves a Christian artist or faith-based artist, or if you kind of fly under the radar a little more, or just in general, how do you approach referencing faith in your art and in your words? Yeah, I, I, for myself, it's actually through uh, the hymns and for Streams in the Wasteland, I incorporated the hymn It as well. So there are two uh, songs um, that were based off Peace Like a River, the painting, and also Whale Hymn. And uh, also I, I use the doxology as well on, on the end of Agnes Day. Uh, and I find it fascinating. Um, like I, I don't necessarily maybe uh, promote myself as like a Christian composer or Christian artist, but uh, these people like online when it's shared on YouTube, different promotional channels or even on Spotify that they find it, they notice that and they're like, they'll go and look up the hymn and, and say, oh yeah, I remember that. Isn't that an old hymn that I used to hear as a kid in church? And I'll, I'll get, actually just this last week, I got some messages about, about that. Like, why did you incorporate that? And um, I think there's something so rich about their lyrics and their deep meaning, and and it's it's a neat witnessing opportunity that people will actually, you know, recognize that. Um, and so I'm really excited about this new series where that will take us um, with uh, all creatures uh, melody being interspersed. So I'm I'm very looking forward to that reaching people. Uh, sure. So w one thing like in my work that I've found is that a lot of people who don't share my spiritual background and commitment, they recognize the, the quality in the work. And 
I think um, as Christians, we should be pursuing excellence and also enter into the, the conversation that people are having. I had an interesting uh, talk with uh, the editor of Fine Art Connoisseur magazine just uh, a couple days ago, um, he saw my exhibition in New York City, and uh, I gave him a private tour, and he said something interesting to me. Uh, we, I was sharing about the, the meaning and inspiration, and he said, I think in the last five years, and especially since COVID, people are much more interested in the pursuit of meaning, and people are experiencing a, a crisis in, in many ways as, as the world gets... Um, uh, jolted from various uh, catastrophes, war and um, uh, economic struggles. And so people are interested in uh, dis having these discussions about relevant topics. And so my, my work is not dogmatic with my faith in a preaching sense. Um, but yet I try, my, my work is influenced by a Christian worldview and uh, a, a meta-narrative of, of faith and people can connect with that on a variety of levels. Um, I think the Bible is something that a lot of people in the uh, the world today are interested in. I mean, people like Jordan Peterson, uh, secular psychologists, uh, people are attracted to digging in deeper because I think there's these timeless truths that um, people are, are wrestling with today. So that's, yeah, just a part of, part of an answer. Yeah, thank you. That's such a hard tension as a Christian artist or faith-based artist to know how to approach that. Um, so thank you. Um, so speaking a little bit from personal experience, I attended a gallery opening with a friend once, and just to paraphrase her, um, she said, I'm so excited to be a part of this elite art world. And um, I was surprised by the comment. I knew what she meant, um, but I was surprised because we know the creative process is very humbling. But I think so often the art world gets viewed as this thing that's a luxury or something for the rich or the well-educated um, or even a non-essential. Um, and knowing that our faith is so beautifully shown through our art, and it's a beautiful way to share the gospel. Um, how do you guys feel around or what are your thoughts around how we can steward that space well? That, that's an interesting comment because there is some truth that it, especially the art establishment panders to, to the elite, but it also um, can be seen in, in a positive sense. I had a gallery owner once tell me that his gallery space hosting exhibition openings was what he saw as a church because it was a place that brought people together who are searching for transcendence and the sacred. And what's interesting about art galleries, you'll notice they're all painted in white. And I, I think it's subconscious, but there's something that happens in a gallery space where you're supposed to be transported into a different realm outside of the, the mundane and ordinary. And I think it is quite special to contemplate um, physical objects, whether that be paintings or uh, sculptures, and that um, as, as a Christian, I, I resonate with that from an 
incarnational per perspective. Um, but oftentimes what can happen is that the art just becomes the end and art itself can't save the world. I think art brings so much meaning to the world to many people, um, but I think it's the, the creator that has given us these incredible artistic gifts that um, art and creativity points toward. Uh, and But we also need to recognize that people within the art world, they are, they are searching for, for meaning, um, perhaps outside of the church, but nevertheless, it's, it's uh, an admirable, admirable pursuit, I think. A little bit of a different answer would maybe be in relation to the film world and how, like, you see the latest Oscars and, um, like, Everything Everywhere all at once, uh, a movie that really is um, very existential and, and trying to search for meaning. So I think there is a trend at large, I think, even of... of uh, like there's a deconstruction and uh, a real like yearning for like what in what in the world does life mean and and so you see some similar trends like with the art yeah. and the film world that way so um yeah it's it's it is like i definitely echo what you said all right last question before we move on to audience q and a so a lot of times we ask at Forefront, like who should we um, be looking at in the art world or what books should we be reading to help cultivate us in our faith-based practices? Wow, okay, this is such a great question. Uh, one that comes to mind, and this is a, a friend of mine, Terry Glaspie. He is a brilliant author and art historian of all artistic forms. He wrote a book, 75 Masterpieces Every Christian Should Know. I think that's such a important book because so often we get kind of weighed down or bombarded with the messaging that, well, Christians suck at making art <laughs> and uh, uh, Christian art is cheesy or kitsch. But really, if you go further back in history, um, there are many artists creating masterpieces. And and even today, there there are many you know, artists of, of faith working. And uh, I appreciate um, you know his other book, uh, Discovering God Through the Arts. So those, those are uh, two books that I highly recommend. Any thoughts? Anything to add, Zach? Yeah, uh, for me, actually, I'm just thinking, like, the end of last year was kind of crummy, if I'm honest. I, like, I finished a video game, and I was very excited, and then I just kind of hit a, a creative lull. And for me, it was actually reading the Psalms. Um, you think of David, and he's always, uh, you know, questioning, like, where are you, God? And and it's there's kind of this uh, progression of like okay there you are and sometimes in a low creative output season you're you feel similar like like I I know I have this gift but it's just not there and I've had those seasons so uh, for me actually yeah it was the Psalms just reading those just knowing that it's okay to be frustrated and and um, so yeah if 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 you're there tonight uh, maybe try reading some Psalms. <laughs> Great, thank you. I'm trying to remember those while I sit up here. Um, so we're going to move into audience Q&A. So maybe if you raise your hand, you can um, show them that you have a question. I'm going to actually, I have a question. Can I ask a question? Even though I'm distributing the microphone? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, let's warm it up here. I do. I do. No one's going to take it from me. So, um, Zach, I actually love that um, the question I had is uh, kind of related to what you just discussed, this idea of your relationship with God. And Josh, you said too, you know, I, before I start painting, I pray. And 
uh, I, I'm really curious uh, as a writer, and I'm sure there are other people really interested in creating themselves here. Uh, it seems uh, there's two dangers for an artist um, to let failure uh, go to your heart or success go to your head. And um, it seems that uh, there's always um, that temptation to uh, find our identity and our self-worth in how well we're creating. Um, where have you, I'm not sure, I'm not sure either of you have dealt with a lot of rejection and failure. Maybe, maybe you can speak to the other side of the spectrum or I'm sure you've, you've tasted a, a bit of everything. Could you maybe speak to um, just your relationship with the Lord and how the Holy Spirit ministers to you as you kind of uh, walk through this, this path? Yeah, I think the process of lots of failure for both Josh and I has led to resiliency in knowing that God's good and he has his best plans for us. Um, last year, I did have some big projects that I, like a DC film that I pitched on and I, I almost caught, but I didn't get it. And so that was like a big letdown. Um, but we can't hold these things too high. I think like when I'm most productive, it's just worship. It's, it's, it's doing my art because I know I have that gift and I know that it brings God joy to do that. No matter, you know, the success after or like the hard seasons of like, oh, I almost got this, but I didn't get it. Um, or even like low creative output. Like that's a, a something I probably struggle with more than Josh because like we've touched on, it's more dynamic um, where like I'll have my devotions in the morning and it's just like I go to work and it's not there, and it's so frustrating, and I feel like, what's wrong with me, like, or does God not want me to be creating, or, or this and that, but um, it's just a, a constant, um, um, like, inner, inward reflection to go, okay, like, I know you're, you're always good, and, and you have what's best in store for me, and, and to be faithful to that calling, and, and that gifting, that if you do have that, it doesn't need to look like a full-time career, even, uh, as long as you're continuing to use that, like that's worship and that's what God cares about, I think the most. Sure, yeah, that that was great. And uh, certainly one thing you realize is that with great success, you uh, experience also great failure, you know, at, at all levels of artists' careers from emerging to established. And for, for me personally, that's always been a, a constant struggle, especially comparing myself to more successful artists than, than myself and, and, you know, asking, you know, why, why God, this doesn't make sense, this isn't fair. And I, I constantly have to return to being reminded that nowhere, where am I finding my identity in? Is it in Josh, the, you know, accomplished artist? Because uh, eventually all these things fade away and my art will likely be forgotten hundreds of years from now. And so I have to take hold this lightly. Um, you know, one thing uh, someone commented on Instagram um, like a year or so ago is a funny comment. And I took it as a compliment. They said, I bet Jesus would hang your paintings in his art collection <laughs> in heaven. And, um, it, it, you know, going into this solo exhibition in New York, I was uh, quite anxious about it. Uh, you know, I need the press. I need the sales, I need, you know, all these important art critics to show up. But, you know, at the end of the day, like I, I envision Christ 
attending the exhibition by himself, you know, and that that vision just reminded me that no, I, I believe that that he's proud of me because I've made the work that I feel that he's called me to, um, and that I haven't compromised both from uh, an artistic level and also on a um, a meaning level in, in the work. And so I, I have to, we both have to return to this because as artists, you never stop uh, getting rejection emails in whatever shape or, or form. And so um, I once had a secular gallery owner tell me that as a Christian, I have an advantage over a secular artist because you're called to live like Jesus, which is not to have a crazy big ego like all my other artists <laughs> and pursue humility. And so, I mean, these are actually like real things that give us an advantage as people of faith, because like at the end of the day, it, our success is not all up to us. And that's not what our whole lives should be built around. Well, thank you. So a question for Josh, when you have a character like Colette, you mentioned that a lot of him is obscured. So you're not seeing a lot of details. Do you in your head or like have a drawing somewhere of like exactly what he looks like? Or if, I don't know, you're not seeing part of his body, does that just not exist in your head? Oh, interesting. So when I first uh, sketched out these characters, I did like a full body kind of character design and a bit of a backstory that I, I don't think I've fully shared. And maybe I, I will, but I, I wanted to keep it some some mystery and um, like I don't see myself like uh, as like an illustrator or as a uh, like there, there's narrative elements, but like his background is mysterious. I mean, he has these steampunk uh, glasses, spectacles, this wide-brimmed hat, this military costume. So, so it alludes to his his past. But I, I wanted like like uh, Jen was saying to have him be as more more representative and and not uh, a specific person necessarily but um, that 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 is a good question uh, for for sure because I think character development is so important in order not to make characters look I don't know like one-dimensional or flat and that's something that I want to continue to explore and I know the world of, of film screenwriters are are way better at you know developing um, those those kind of characters but uh, hopefully there's there's some nuance that I'm not just copying someone or making someone generic up so yeah thanks that's cool thanks I have, I have an interesting question. Okay. Imagine all, all your paintings you've ever made, Josh, are in a shed or something. I don't know where you keep these things, but uh, hopefully in a more safe location than a shed. But uh, <laughs> imagine something happens, the shed is on fire, and you can only save one painting <laughs> okay, that you ever made. But, Zach, you are there. Josh isn't there. So you have to make the decision for him. Which painting are you gonna? How well do you know your brother? Oh, like like which child do you save? Oh yeah. Well, I think that's easy for me because uh, like I think of like the largest painting is done, which is Agnes Day, and I think that's the most special one to me. And I, I don't know, maybe that would be the same as him, but that's that would be my answer. Is, are you upset with him right now, Josh? Or? No, no, that's probably the one I think of too. <laughs> okay. Good job. Hopefully that never happens. No. Um, okay, great. Other questions? 
Um, yeah, I'm curious, is there a project or a subject matter that if you knew, you'd like kill it? <laughs> like you would do it justice. Um, and this is for both of you. So, you know, project, it could be like a specific film or a specific game or something or a specific, uh, or subject matter too. For, uh, again, that like maybe intimidates you a little bit right now, but if you knew you would do it justice, what, what would be that one kind of dream thing? I'll tell you the film that I pitched for. It was Black Adam. <laughs> and I liked our theme far better. <laughs> I, mean, I might be biased, but that was that would be something like I that's that's a dream of mine is to do like a major Hollywood film. There's quite an undertaking though, like, you know, more cooks in the kitchen with um multiple different people. Specifically, I think a project I would be interested in is, um, definitely something like um, multicultural. So like uh, you look at like something like Black Panther, um, those films, I, I always love studying uh, different uh, cultures and um, I think I would be keen to do something like that. So like an avatar or, a, or that. But um, yeah, there's still opportunities out there for me. Um, like I assist, like for the Black Adam, I assisted this composer in Toronto that I know and so he's, has some future films coming up that I might be a part of. So, um, but yeah, definitely, uh, I, I look forward to doing kind of like a, maybe a superhero film one day. Uh, for me, a couple things come to mind. I recently read That Hideous Strength, the final book in C.S. Lewis's Space Trilogy, and I found it super inspiring. Um, it, it's very like, uh, disturbing and, and relevant and some of the scenes of the the animals who are being tested on escape and like maul all the bad guys <laughs> in in the scene it's it's quite it's quite gory actually for c.s lewis uh it's it's uh funny um i i i'm starting to think of the ideas for my next painting series that i'll be working on and so i i I, I might draw on that book. Uh, I, I do like um, Out of the Silent Planet, the first book as well, and Paralandra. Um, I think also I, I love art history as well. I'm actually um, starting a, a master's degree in, in art history this summer and going to be studying in Italy and seeing some of the you know great masterpieces like the Sistine Chapel. And so when, when I see those great works from the past and their sheer scale, they inspire me to take on a massive project like that. Uh, now, I, I know it's, it's one of those things that, okay, well, what about funding and what about time? And uh, would, would a gallery show such a big work or be able to even fit it in their space? And so, uh, that's something I, I hope to be able to do and because I love art history, but often animals are overlooked in Renaissance painting. So I'd like to kind of uh, do sort of a revisionist art history um, with like a zoological theme or something. I think we should do that. <laughs> uh, that's that's what, what I have in mind, so we'll see. <laughs> oh, so good. Uh, final question would be, do you need a personal assistant to join you in Italy? Because uh, yeah. I have time. Um, I'm unemployed right now. Let me know. Um, any other questions? Real questions? Time? Okay. Uh, thank you so much. Appreciate you guys.